Hello and welcome to Shine, a podcast by Star. In this podcast, we are looking to illuminate cutting edge technologies. And so in this episode, we'll be focusing on the applications of artificial intelligence in healthcare. And to help illuminate this topic, we're joined by a star expert, Viktor Zamoriev, who is the head of data science at Star, and also an external expert. We're joined by Justin Klein, the director of software engineering at Health 2047. In this discussion, we cover the most interesting current use cases of AI in healthcare, the steps that a healthcare provider can take today to get started, the challenges that healthcare providers are facing, such as ethics, privacy, and information security. And then finally, we illuminate the applications of AI in healthcare that we should start to see over the next five to 10 years. Let's move into the discussion. And the first voice you'll hear will be that of Victor, the head of data science at Star. Generally, my background is software engineering, and uh, despite the fact that I'm working on data science here at STAR, I came from engineering world and from software engineering, actually. And with more than almost like 20 years of experience, I worked on multiple systems around data-driven products, data lakes, BI reporting, and so on and so forth. And mainly here at STAR, I'm actually bridging this gap between business and our engineering teams, ensure that our data team understands business cases correctly and builds meaningful stuff. Got it. So linking data and tech and business. Awesome. Landing all together. Exactly. Justin, now over to you. Could you quickly give a little bit of a background to you and your current role? Yes. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. I'm the Director of Engineering at Health 2047. We work with healthcare to work on systemic corrections and solutions for the healthcare industry. And we work hand in hand with many of the leaders and try to bring interdisciplinary thought to each of our our methods and kind of bring the tech and Silicon Valley perspective and combine that with healthcare. Got it. Makes sense. Now, I want to kick off by understanding where we are today with AI in healthcare. And to make this real for the audience, Could you share, each of you, your current most interesting real-life use cases of AI in healthcare today? Sure. Actually, if you mind, I'll share both two use cases and they reinforce each other. Actually, I'd like to start with a little of history flashback. So use case in healthcare, which actually made most impression on myself, was from Peter Norwick, who is probably the brightest and vivid head of Google, our research lab. And actually, in 2001, he uh, did nice talk to prove how data and amount of data can beat algorithms and models. And the point he made that Google actually can predict spikes and peaks in flu season in the United States better than entire healthcare organizations and all the hospitals together in the US. And what they did, they just analyzed what people search in Google, what trends are. And whenever people start searching for Google uh, for flu symptoms, they actually understand that there is a spike and they can actually connect a number of searches to actual amount of patients. And this data was almost in real time. You can imagine that they analyze the trends in real time and it actually was ahead of official statistics for seven days. 
And I really encourage everyone to look on this talk. It calls Unreasonable Effectiveness of Data. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. And why actually I recall this talk was that just recently in New York, several researchers did just amazing study around COVID-19. They analyzed damp water in New York and found proteins and like all this little spreads of COVID-19 in dump waters. And they can actually predict number of beds occupied in emergency rooms and health and hospitals for seven days in advance, even more like earlier than anyone else can do this using kind of like small pieces, small chunks of data. This is absolutely stunning. I mean, two insane examples. Justin, how about you for applications that are live right now? There's a few of them that I find quite interesting, especially with a combination of models that are combined to kind of use to create predictive aspects. We have a few apps these days that are coming out with oncology predictions and risk predictions for specific diagnoses that can put together images as well as uh, table-based fields and uh, other inputs and then uh, tie a few models, some of them uh, computer vision, some of them NLP, and then some of them tabular-based, and combine each of these models and give each of those different weights to create predictions for specific users. This can be used to help find counterindicated pharmaceuticals and uh, keep somebody from uh, higher-risk situations. It can also be used to help plan and figure out where to put the best health-saving life kind of uh, use cases together. So I think that the big thing that I'm most excited about is the fact that NLP has really advanced in recent years. And because of that, we have access to data that used to not be standardized. And now we are able to tie that with a few other systems to flag us when things are very possibly high risk so that a real doctor can review afterwards and basically shorten the time for them to figure out something that may have promising insight or actionable information. Awesome. Now, let's say I'm a healthcare provider today, and maybe I don't have an insane amount of resources, but I am interested in applications of AI. How could I get started relatively fast? Victor, I know you're quite passionate about this, because from my limited knowledge of this field, it seems like I would need to do a lot of pre-work with data before I could ever get to a point where I'd actually be able to see a real-life application in my healthcare business. So what would be a way that I could kind of get started with applying AI? I hope it's a lot of this insane amount of resources. You also have an insane amount of data. Actually, like that's probably the first question that anyone will hear if you're talking about any AI or ML product. Do you have data? Do you know how to collect it? Do you know how to acquire it? And so on. So... That's the biggest issue. And even if you're not at the stage where you want to do any ML stuff or data science stuff, please do collect data, use digital forms of your data and ensure that at least it persisted for further references. So it's definitely the most useful and ground step for any further improvements and further work. So whenever you decided that you're ready to move forward, you at least will have some amount of data to work with. It might not be like at least full data set, but it would be some fraction and it would be extremely helpful. And that's one the first one. After that, I like from 
our, our experience as a star came up from a startup world. We know how it's important to validate ideas and show that yeah, we're doing something useful for users and, or for business. I would say that let's do baby steps and roll out small portions of algorithms or applications to be sure that we are doing the right market fit. So please don't start the project that will last for a few years before you see the outcome. It's kind of a big disaster right now. And in most cases, people or business doesn't get what, what they want from such projects. So when you have data and you're ready to do baby steps, probably you need to find, or you may at least already found your business niche where you want to approve the quality of your predictions or algorithms or any kind of decisions. So when I have this niche, it's the next step would be to map your business problem to machine learning task and start looking for right algorithms and approaches. Now, there are a lot of uh, state-of-the-art solutions which are applicable and which are available for multiple fields, like just mentioned NLP or computer vision. So it's always easy to start with something ready and proven by community and apply it to your business problem. And this will give you a kind of a baseline that you can already use and uh, support your business. Even if there will be, you know, so approach like human in the loop, so algorithms will produce a result which will be reviewed by human later on. But still, it's, this automation might significantly reduce labor efforts. And after that, generally, uh, whenever you have a kind of a baseline, so you know what's your base measurements, you can advance and fine-tune things like indefinitely. There is always room for improvement. Got it. So step one start tracking the data. Step two, try and be lean. Step three, find the business use case that you want to try and improve decisions. And then also be aware that actually it doesn't have to be the AI which is making the decisions. Things can be reviewed by humans as a second layer of decision. So that's right. the process. Absolutely. So then not doing AI only for like AI or ML buzzwords, right? So we're doing to help business to gain more or to optimize processes better. For sure. Justin, any thoughts on how, as a healthcare provider myself, how I would go about getting started with this fast? Do you agree with Victor's process that he laid out or anything to add? I do agree with uh, Victor on that. I do also want to point out there's a, a few caveats to how to attack machine learning problem and kind of get a solution that really can function in production. We've heard through the news that ML and deep learning has made huge strides, and we've actually witnessed many of them on our cell phones from uh, the filters you can put on and the background effects in Zoom to recommendations for really complex services. So everyone's really chomping at the bit to get in there. But one of the things that is kind of an issue, especially in the U.S. marketplace, is a lot of this healthcare data is not standardized, and because it's protected for privacy reasons in the U.S. HIPAA compliance, it's often very difficult to move it around. And because it wasn't really built to be moved around, they really did focus on specific workflows and uh, provider needs, which really, when you think about what machine learning needs, uh, which Victor was addressing, is lots of data is very helpful. And then standardized data really makes it so you get accurate results from uh, reviewing that data. 
So we have this challenge in US where you have all these great tools, but how do you get them into the systems where they're actionable? That's presented in a few different ways. One of them is machine learning is able to get deployed on location a bit more easily. So if you were a provider, I would definitely use that as the first step because it's a little easier to implement off of compliance reasons and HIPAA transfer reasons. However, if you are able to make it go to the cloud, then you have access to uh, scalable resources and models that have already been developed and are run by people who, quite honestly, would have more expertise. So maybe not in a specific diagnosis or a domain space, but in the domain space of uh, machine learning itself. So we do have this issue where a lot of the challenges with bringing machine learning is figuring out how to do it in a compliant way where there's proper governance, how to do it in a way where the data coming in is standardized so you can get proper insights. And in fact, that ends up being one of the massive issues is first off getting the access, but then once having the access, figuring out how that data matches to the larger collective. And that brings me to the point is, so those are some of the issues with bringing them out there. But as a a provider, you have some great opportunities right now. Computer vision has made huge strides for diagnostic imaging and helping add a flagging mechanism, basically, to the physician's workflow to assist them with finding uh, highlight areas that they should be reviewing or whether they think that they're confident in a different direction than the physician and then pointing them to the features on the image that brought them there. Well, we have that issue, but then we also have NLP, which has, through the advent of transfer learning, become something that can start to do the standardization. And some of the big startups these days, uh, some of the most successful startups right now, are actually using that NLP to standardize the data sets in a dynamic fashion and basically solve some of those accuracy and uh, data scalability problems uh, that are inherent in the system. So I find that that's a very interesting thing. But then the last thing that I think is super interesting is the idea of transfer learning, which has been um, popularized recently because, as Victor said, in the past we needed tons of data. And the people who had that were the big guys like Google and Facebook. And, And if you wanted to make a dent in the horizons of machine learning, you basically needed that data. Since then, uh, transfer learning mechanisms have been seen as very powerful and can basically be stacked on top of these models and extend um, insights from large collections of data that those tech giants and other organizations have compiled together. And then you can take those insights and then shave off the top ones that may have gone too general for you and then put some uh, focused ones on the uh, specific domain uh, space that you're targeting. That is uh, something that I find uh, very exciting. And I think that if you were to go and try to put this into production, you're going to find that some of the major challenges, like the scalability of data, the governance of the data structures that you need to connect with, are kind of relieved because we're able to uh, run these models and then share the learnings from them without the data. And I find that to be uh, very attractive and very useful, especially in the U.S. marketplace. A good example, especially in NLP, is knowing what you can actually do with it. So for NLP, if you want to match the intention or the information, even on something very specific and complex, like a high-level oncology diagnosis, that's actually relatively easy for NLP to do. But then if you were to ask the same models 
and using uh, GAN methods and things like that to then take those terms and change them into layman terms. Well, now we get into a place where it's pretty vague and difficult to get to a really highly accurate area where we turn those technical terms into something that is uh, valuable and actionable to the layman. And while that would be very useful, and it seems like we have the ability to do that since we can filter through the NLP and do the connections, that last step still really does require human intervention. So in that context, you can kind of see, look, with matching and and putting things into pattern-recognized buckets, NLP does really well. But if you're trying to get something that is coherently rationalized from a bunch of different data sets uh, to something that's actionable to you as a person, we're not to the place where we can erect that fully while we can demonstrate the insights that we can pass to the physician themselves to kind of check and then present to the patient in a way that makes sense to them. And in that process, we can help figure out how to bring machine learning closer to that goal eventually. Awesome. Is there anything else that like healthcare providers or businesses that are looking to adopt AI should be aware of before they jump in? Any other challenges that we, we haven't covered yet? There is a lot of challenges when we're talking about AI and, and healthcare particularly. And I guess, and probably Justin would agree with me, is that data privacy and ethics is kind of biggest one. There are more scenarios and more cases well, we should be very, very careful. So, uh, for example, its current state of digital transformation or digitalization in, in healthcare. So, we still face scenarios when physicians use pen and paper to provide receipts and do like preliminary questionnaire, and uh, a lot of things still manual, and they're not captured anywhere. And d- definitely, they actually use different. Uh, templates across different uh, clinics and hospitals. Another one I would name that there is a huge gap between business and engineering teams or even R&D teams. So it's hard to communicate business problems or business tasks to engineers and they often feel uh, frustration when they have to talk in different language, not that data science kind of a language, but business language, which might not be understandable for them. And it's always good when we blend them together and they, for example, even sit in the same room on the next tables and work, work hand by hand. And in these cases, whenever domain experts can be supplemented with uh, software developers and data scientists and create a really diverse team, this makes best produces best results. And probably like last one, uh, I would highlight here that it's it's not always obvious where to apply uh, data science or machine learning in current world because I won't talk about AI, but it, it means different for everyone. And often, even if we have data, we can't find the right uh, business need or market niche for the algorithms or approaches. So, like, ability to clearly see where, where the opportunities came in, come in and what can be done with AI is, is also might be a big advantage or disadvantage looking on either side. Justin, any other challenges that healthcare providers should be aware of? Yeah, I think there's 
two or three major ones. I think the first one is a good challenge and uh, reflects the privacy needs that we're realizing as a, as a globe that we need to start enforcing. But the first one is in a few studies in the market here in the U.S., we found that a lot of healthcare providers are very interested in deploying machine learning. And the truth is, is they know the viability of machine learning and that pattern. And so they're willing to test assumptions out and try new workflows. And they understand as medical professionals that not everything that you try is going to work, but they need to have proper frameworks to be able to attempt these methods. And that namely is a governance one. So as, this, as you're doing a startup it's, or starting a new project or participating in a new venture, it's, it's really important to recognize when coming to these providers, they do want to apply these tools and have a large appetite for it. But you need to be able to demonstrate the governance and data handling and security to alleviate their concerns about HIPAA compliance and uh, recognize that as ML engineers and data scientists, we really would love the huge highly supported tools that are available in AWS and on Azure and the Google Cloud Suite. And, but that does mean that you have to go through that transfer of data to the cloud and really requires a lot of governance structure. So that would be one of the main things is first really think about how you present that governance and demonstrate the pipelines and the transfer of the data and the reasons behind them. And whenever you can minimize the features that you pull into the cloud or combine those features into some sort of probability, the more likely you are going to be able to do a hybridized environment where you have some machine learning sorting data together on the provider uh, level, but then hand set off to the, the supersized computers uh, in the cloud to help with computation and analysis. So by doing that governance, you can kind of put those two things together and now we can start to scale and pass on insights. Another big thing that I do want to bring up is within the provider groups, our data is kind of standardized to specific workflows at that provider group. And because of that, sometimes the features you'll be mapping will be reflections of those workflows. And this actually parallels and reflects one of the issues in machine learning itself. And I'm sure you guys have heard of this, is the black box of machine learning and deep learning. What, where did these insights come from? How did they come to these conclusions? And as you can imagine in the medical profession, when trying to make decisions off of how they figured out to recommend this drug, it's not so, it can be disconcerting in that context. And when in Amazon, when they're recommending something, you're like, how did they hear about this? How do they know? Well, we, we do have ways for, tr for finding these things out. But the big thing is, how did you get to the insights that made you make the decision to give a new action? And those things are highly regulated for medical professionals. And basically, when you're doing machine learning, there's a balance between really great accuracy and then how to be able to share those insights. And sometimes the sweet spot is right in between them. And we need to be aware when we're deploying these tools that we shouldn't focus as much on accuracy while it is very important as we should be able to find insights and, in fact, find the thing that the machine learning is also looking at and make our own understand and basically an understood decision from that context. Um, and, and then at that point, we aren't just listening to the machine learning. We're taking their insights, using them for ourselves, and checking them as well. Um, and then the last thing is 
by doing uh, creating machine learning that kind of focuses a little bit more on being able to interpret the insights. Now you can create the auditability and trackability of why you made decisions. This person had these factors and these factors and these factors all together that then gave us this prediction, which gave us this opportunity for treatment versus a black box that may be more accurate, but just tells you this is what we predict. And we don't really know why we predicted that. The interpretability of it allows it to be more actionable. And it kind of does stand in the face of, you would think you would just want higher accuracy. But this is one of those places where machine learning is you know, still, still in its nascent stages. Um, it's developing very quickly, but we need to be able to pass the wisdom from our medical professionals and you know, professionals in all uh, market spaces. But uh, this is one thing to be uh, particularly focused on is how to take the insights from machine learning and then pass them to the people actually doing the care. So there is a nice approach which has been developed recently, uh, like extremely popular and heavy across various areas for interpretability. And the uh, idea is to have like another model which uh, sits side by side with the main model, which actually explains result of the main model and presents them in, in the way uh, that regular people can understand and treat it like uh, accordingly. And it's very popular actually in healthcare, in uh, finance, and rest of the domains where deep learning became so popular. It might not be fully compliant uh, with all regulatories yet, but it actually creates like people face uh, for black box models. Absolutely. I've been very excited to see the tools roll out. And uh, I also find it funny that many of those tools are also running on uh, machine learning, figuring out how to set features and um, which features actually cost the most weights so that they can point to those later and create those reports. So mm -hmm. absolutely. Now, to change the lane slightly, another application I read about recently, similar to those you mentioned at the start of this episode, Victor, was that an AI platform based in Canada was able to spot the COVID-19 outbreak nine days prior to the announcement from the WHO, from the World Health Organization. Now, connecting that with uh, a lot of the challenges I'm hearing from you guys is that access to data is, is one of the roadblocks to healthcare providers actually implementing AI. So my question is, is COVID-19 going to speed up the ability for or for healthcare providers to access data and therefore start running some of these models? My bet is absolutely yes. And the main reason for that, so we currently see how all the scientists and researchers around the world are being united and share their data and uh, researchers and how they even demand early information from China to see what might be the root cause of the COVID-19 and how it spread initially. So all this might lead actually to a more open game across all the parties because everyone sees now that whenever you have data, you can do better ways and actually improve the quality of life and improve researchers. Still, definitely, so it will be kind of a pain uh, for a big corporation to withdraw access to the data. But eventually, and I believe that uh, currently, uh, this recent changes interoperability rules shows us that uh, access to data will be simplified and more standardized 
given more democratic access to health data, even if it will be partially anonymized or depersonalized, still uh, having access to the data will be democratized. I agree. And I've also been watching the community movement to kind of help in response to COVID. And one of them in particular that I've been very interested in is the data scientists on Kaggle. Quite a few of them were on top of the models and creating models for our different governments. And those guys all work in a tight circle. And we're starting to share data. It became obvious in that data science community that there was something around the mass that they started to champion across uh, different governments. And now we're seeing that's one of the mitigations that we're using that does seem to have an effect. So it's really cool to see our data science community really affecting change and helping with uh, public health, uh, behavioral understanding, transmission rates, and things like that, and uh, how the tech has really enabled that. So it's not just the data scientists, but engineers recognizing where these uh, sets of data could be used. You've been watching a lot of the marketing metrics and things like that being used to help with predictive uh, efforts here. But then there's uh, the other component that I think, you know, beyond the goodwill is the uh, mechanical nature is because of this pandemic, many of us have been at lockdown and many of these additional procedures, uh, as they call them, elective, when they're not always elective. Some of these are uh, very meaningful, very huge quality of life effect kind of situations where we can't um, have them coming in because we have to be able to respond to the pandemic. And so it held up a few of these, or not just a few, many of these appointments and procedures. In the meantime, we still had to maintain these people's health who needed these procedures and observe them and uh, continue to give them medical treatment. They are not always able to come in and it may be a risk to their health. So we've seen an explosion in telemedicine here which points to the fact that we do need to transmit this data. And we're moving very quickly to figure out how to do this best and what kind of systems need to be erected to help with governance and privacy and auditability of this move that we did in response to this massive need right now. And I think that that environment will not only demonstrate the efficacy of telemedicine and the fact that it's convenient, but also allows us for more regular touches and for data input from external devices. And that could be very useful and could change some of how our market works here. It's an exciting place to, to be right now. And the fact that this is you know, a really tough thing that we're all going uh, through collectively, um, but we're seeing huge concerted efforts to figure out some things that have been troubling us for, for some time now that really many of us can see huge dividends behind. I think that with that transmission of that data, not only are we going to see more of the goodwill of this is what happens when you combine data sets, but you'll also see there's actually some great business mechanics behind it. And we just need to properly create frameworks and governance systems that allow for us to move data in this way. And to remember that this is something that we've become accustomed to in every other facet of our life, including other private areas like finance. So we're just uh, working very hard uh, to bring these kinds of uh, technologies and machine learning to the healthcare industry in a way that supports uh, the users and still thinks things through ethically in a privacy focus and also in a a quality measurement, which one of the the great uh, benefits of doing telemedicine is many of the interactions are not actually captured in 
medical offices due to the nature that they're in real life and not digital. While there is a real important piece that being face, face-to-face meetings and appointments, it is nice to have these extra interactions logged so you can figure out when those interactions do affect change. And one of the other things that this does is um, greater demonstrates how the behavioral impacts can affect health outcomes. So taking into account the increased like, prevalence of telemedicine and access to data due to COVID-19, five to 10 years from now, which application of AI in healthcare are you most excited about? First, we'll go to Victor. That's a hard question. And just because I'm so excited about all of them, but probably because I'm kind of a big fan of various simulation environments and probably like, let me just find the best example. So have you heard about this AI produced by Google that plays a Go game just extremely well and able to beat all other like human uh, computer opponents? That's kind of simulation where I'm really keen on and I'm a big fan of. So it's cultural enforcement learning and uh, when you have an agent which can do various things and it gets rewards uh, for the correct actions and uh, penalties for incorrect actions. I'm really looking forward in 10 years that uh, most of clinical trials and uh, researches for drugs can be made online without need to make any trials on animals or human. But you can just simulate what kind of disease you're looking for and what kind of chemicals or substances you might have and run simulation and uh, reward your agent uh, for good moves and penalize it for bad moves, actually. So it can actually do research uh, using like extremely flexible computational power which are available in the cloud and just speed up uh, research which currently takes a lot of time. And whenever we find out a substance that might work, we can actually plan clinical trial using available data. Even if it's not if it's anonymized, we can find out what's the best group for trial, how we can help them, what's the current uh, state of the health, what's the history, and so on and so forth. So all this stuff currently takes just enormous amount of time and money. So if we can simplify this and it will allow us to move uh, drugs to market faster, I guess it will be an extreme win for the humankind. And I hope we'll have a vaccine for COVID-19 until end of the year. I can't wait to fly on for the vacation. (laughs) And Justin, over to you. I think in 10 years, the biggest thing I'm looking forward to is the Accessibility. I think we're going to see a huge increase in accessibility from telemedicine to being able to use our our cameras on our phones and to help with diagnostics and um, take, uh, you know, vital measurements. Um, Our iPhones and other devices and peripherals are getting more and more data every day. So the accessibility to great diagnostic Uh, efforts and accessibility to care uh, treatments and opportunities, and then an ability to recommend those based off of your own specific features are going to be, you know, incredibly useful. So the accessibility, as we know, if you can uh, come in for a dermatologist to look for melanoma, if you get it early, you can really stop the thing. And so kind of that accessibility and convenience of treatment is huge. But then the data itself coming in and the ease of pulling that data and uh, collecting 
how that affects your life and, and pulling outcomes from that. And we'll be able to start to see people not as average humans, but as people who have averages among themselves as individuals and figure out where they are in their health journey, whether they're, you know, an athlete in the NBA or they're 75 and in retirement, being able to figure out exactly where they should be based off of their own health journey and being able to take that accessibility to give them extra opportunities to help control and mitigate health risks. I think that accessibility will be huge, but I also am very optimistic about the amount of data that will be coming in and the amount of insights we'll be able to pull from there. And we'll start to be able to pull apart quite a bit of what are environmental factors and what are behavioral factors that are also causing the health outcomes that we either wish to have or wish to keep out of our lives. So I am very optimistic about that. And I see around the world, people working very quickly to this, this goal. And I'm very excited to see the efforts and I can't wait to see what happens tomorrow. And on that note, Victor and Justin, thank you so much for this journey that you've taken us all on through the world of AI and healthcare. I'd like to finish off by quickly allowing the listener to find out more about you guys, where they can find more about your work. Victor, I know Star has some credentials in the space. Um, how can people find out more about you and Star? Probably LinkedIn is the best way to join with someone currently. So visit my LinkedIn page, visit our Star site, you'll see you'll be able to find a lot of articles around data science and healthcare as well. And definitely feel free to ping me directly if you want to talk about any things that we talked today uh, deeply. And Justin, a little bit of background. Oh, well, where can people find more about you and Health 2047? Hi, yeah. Uh, well, you can find me on the Health 2047 page and uh, find out a bit more about us and some of our projects. And you can also find out about me on GitHub and LinkedIn. And uh, also Kaggle and uh, Fast AI. I enjoy being parts of those communities. So if you guys have any questions or, or thoughts about machine learning that you'd like to share, I'm always open, always engaged, and very excited about all of these opportunities and the fact that we can be wizards on these machines. Wizards on machines. We'll close with that. All of the links just mentioned will be in the show notes below. Victor and Justin, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for, Thanks for having us. And thank you so much to both Victor and Justin for joining us in this illuminating discussion of the impact of artificial intelligence on healthcare. And also thank you so much to you for taking the time out of your day to listen. I have one small favor to ask. If you are listening on any podcast listening application, it would be really great for us if you're able to both rate and review the podcast. Please leave your honest thoughts. It helps us improve the content. It helps us find better guests and it helps us find more engaging topics to cover. So once again, thank you for listening. <music>